Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Psalm 70. This psalm is almost identical with Psalm 40, verses 13 to 17. We might imagine that the shorter version was written first and preserved and appreciated for its heightened sense of urgency, and then a a longer version was developed that added a few words of context and situational narrative. But the opposite is just as likely. Perhaps the longer version was written first, and then the urgent petition sort of calved off for use in other similar situations. It doesn't really matter, and it doesn't much affect our appreciation of this psalm. Whether considering the shorter or the longer version, this is obviously a plea for help. David finds himself in distress, and as David so often and so rightly does, he turns to God in prayer. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning with the ascription and going on to verse 1. To the choir master of David... For the memorial offering. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. David Dixon wrote here Prayer is a swift messenger which, in the twinkling of an eye, can go and return with an answer from heaven. That is a marvelous truth. When we think of armies in the field in need of support, or even a a civilian stranded on the side of the road, the ability to reach out and call for help is a game changer. And prayer is even more instant than a satellite link or a cell phone. Prayer is instant in speed and overwhelming in effect. Spurgeon loved that verse from Psalm 70 and that line from David Dixon. He quoted it in his own gleanings in the Psalms and went on to add, The cry of help is never far away from the heart and lips of the believer in Christ, but neither is it far away from the ear of the only one who can be our true helper. Closed quote. Yes, that is so true and so helpful. Prayer should be our instant, immediate, instinctive response in times of trouble. And we can be assured that if we are in Christ, as instant as our prayer is the interest of our Father. Thanks be to God. Verse 2. Let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let them turn back because of their shame, who say, aha, aha. Now, the word aha in Hebrew is a term of derision. People were deriding David. Now, if that's not a familiar term to you, let me try another. They were ridiculing David and mocking him. It appeared to them that David had fallen out of favor with God, and they were delighting in that and deriding him in his time of hurt and injury. There are people, there have always been people who delight in the misfortunes of others. Others they have been jealous of. Others they have resented for the favor they seemed to enjoy. Others they had to submit to. Others whose leadership they found personally 
chafing. These were the folks who were now opposing and deriding David. Now, we don't really know for sure what situation in David's life gave his enemies reason to question his favor with God. There there isn't any biographical information provided for the psalm. Many scholars assume that because Psalm 71 has no ascription at all, that these psalms were originally intended to be read together. If that is true, and I think it probably is, then we have more information and more text to deal with in pondering out the potential circumstances behind their antagonism. Look for a second at Psalm 71, 9-11. So that's just the next psalm over. David says there, Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent, for my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. So it may be that their opposition and derision has to do simply with the fact that David is now old and frail and failing. Maybe he's sick. Maybe he's on bed rest. We, we know David was very old and very sick at the end of his life. He even took a young wife as nurse so that she could care for him in his apartment without any hint of indecency. All of that must have been very embarrassing to the former warrior king, and his enemies took pleasure in his weakness. Every old and weak king feels vulnerable. There are always younger, stronger, ambitious men lacking patience, humility, and gratitude, ready and willing to take your place. David sees that. David feels that, and David does what he ought to do. He takes it to the Lord in prayer. Verse 4. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. David here is lifted in prayer to a position where he can appreciate the bigger picture. He's helped to see more than his own narrow needs. Like the true king he is, he prays not just for himself, but for his people. May all who seek you rejoice. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. David Dixon says here, Whatsoever be our own hard condition at any time, we should seek the welfare and prosperity of the rest of God's children. And it is the property of each of the godly in their trouble to wish all the rest to be partakers of the blessedness which their own souls seek after, but not to be like them in trouble or bonds. Closed quote. David's weaknesses actually help him to better identify with his people. In his frailty, he better understands them and more passionately intercedes for them. He joins with them and takes up their cause as his own. That is one of the reasons why God ordains seasons of weakness for us all, and particularly for great leaders. Verse 5. But I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. David prays for his people, but he also prays for himself. The mighty king is still a humble supplicant. The warrior, in his weakness, bows before his Lord. Thanks be to God. That is a good example for us all. The RMM plan has us reading two psalms today. So here again, the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 71. As I mentioned, it has no ascription. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. 
In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Again, most commentators understand that there is some relationship between Psalm 70 and Psalm 71. The two together give us the impression that David is an old man, failing in health and vigor, and surrounded by enemies who would supplant him and cast him down. But David knows who put him on the throne and who keeps him on the throne. The Lord is his rock and refuge. Verse 4, Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, my Lord from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. Plumer says here, Happy are they who seek the Savior early. David is an old man now and has walked with God for many years. He has many experiences of God's goodness to draw upon. His well is very deep and his faith is entirely sure. That is one of the great blessings gained by coming to faith at an early age. Verse 7. I have been as a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. Let me just pause here. That's an odd phrase. I have been as a portent to many. We don't use the word portent very often. It is the Hebrew word mafeth, which the Strong's Hebrew Dictionary defines as conspicuousness, a miracle, by implication, a token or omen, miracle, sign, wonder. That is the sense in which J. Alec Machir understands the term, and as a general rule, I am always hesitant to pit my seminary Hebrew against the opinion of J. Alec Machir. He explains a sign as something that points to some truth, and a wonder as something that attracts attention. So the question is, in what sense has David been a sign that points to something, and a wonder that attracts attention? And I think David is speaking here of his entire life. I think he understands that in some way, God has always been communicating to Israel through him. God has always been pointing forward to something else through him. God has always been attracting attention through him. I think that God has been communicating to Israel through the life and person of King David throughout his entire existence. No less here at the end of his life than in his earlier days when he slew the giant as a young man. God is constantly communicating through David. In that sense and in other senses, David is a prophet. He is a prophet and a portent to the nations. And that's a hard job. But God is his refuge and strength. Verse 8. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. It's interesting how 
our personal experiences creep into our prayers. If you're a Bible reader, you'll remember that just before David became king, when he was living in Ziklag and working as a mercenary for the Philistines, there was a raid on his home base. And some Amalekites took away as spoil all the wives and children of David and his men. So they pursued them. And providentially, they came upon a man, a servant that had been discarded by his master. He says to David when questioned, my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. Well, of course, David doesn't want to be that man. But thankfully for David, God is not that kind of master. I love what W.S. Plumer says here. He says, God is not offended at decrepitude. Amen. The older I get, the happier I am about that. But I am also increasingly aware that many people, even within the covenant community, misinterpret sickness, frailty, and decrepitude. Like the disciples in John 9, they are wrongly connecting the dots. They are assuming that if a person is struggling, then they must be enduring the displeasure of God. Calvin spoke about that tendency. He said, measuring the favor of God only by what is the present condition of men, they conceive that all whom he suffers to be afflicted are despised, forsaken, and cast off by him. Closed quote. That is so true. And that is so hurtful. When you are being afflicted by God, it is not necessarily a sign of his displeasure. He may simply be preparing you for eternity. In fact, it's more likely a sign of his love than his displeasure. Jesus says that in the Bible. In Revelation 3.19, he says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So please don't be one of those people who add to a loving chastisement of God the burden of false accusation and assumption. Our job is to help people bear up under those things, not to increase the weight and shame of them. Verse 12, O God, be not far from me. Oh my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace. May they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day. For their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. David doesn't abdicate and he doesn't concede their point of view. There is some wisdom in self-reflection whenever you face criticism from other people. But if your cause is right and your claim is fair, then you should push through it and take your, take your wounds to God as David does here. Plumer again says very helpfully, if in contests with men we see our cause is bad, let us abandon it and ask God to forgive us for having engaged in it. But if we know that the matter for which we contend is weighty as well as just, let us not fear the issue, nor hesitate to bring our complaints before Jehovah. Close quote. Verse 17. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me, until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. 
You who have done great things, O oh God, who is like you? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again from the depths of the earth. You will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. Calvin says here, We must be brought down even to the gates of death before God can be seen to be our deliverer. God ordains troubles to increase faith. Matthew Henry says the same. Sometimes God makes his people's troubles contribute to the increase of their greatness, and their sun shines the brighter for having been under a cloud. Closed quote. Certainly that is true. And I think that's an appropriate application of the text. But there is, I think, a, a more literal meaning of David's words that we ought not to miss. David expresses a very concrete faith. He, he says, you will revive me again from the depths of the earth. You will bring me up again. That shouldn't be spiritualized away. I think David is expressing his faith in a literal resurrection. Plumer agrees. He says, Without that last great deliverance, a better resurrection, the resurrection of the just, all minor deliverances were as nothing, closed quote. That's a good point. What's the value of being rescued from this trouble or that trouble if at the end it all fades to dark, if we, if we die and simply fade away? Well, that isn't David's faith. He believes that God will revive him again. From the grave, up from the grave, he will arise again and be comforted and prospered. Without that, the rest is meaningless. Verse 22, I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness. Oh my God, I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. And my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. Play the long game and sing a new song. That is wisdom, that is faith, and this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those at intotheword.ca. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page. Just type Into the Word into the search bar. If you'd like to contribute to this listener-supported program, go to the website and click the Give bar in the top right corner. Once again, that's intotheword.ca. We hope to see you again real soon right here for another episode of Into the Word. Thank you.